If you have your copy of God's Word with you, turn with me to Romans chapter 4. Actually, we're going to start in the end of Romans chapter 3, so uh, Romans 3, starting in verse 21, as uh, you see the title behind us, it's The Exchange Life, and um, we're going to take a segment or a section of the epistle to the Romans, Romans chapter 4 through Romans chapter 8, and I've read through this numerous times, studied it numerous times, and uh, it's all about an exchange. It's an exchange of, of who you and who I am without Christ and who we are and who we are to be with Christ. And so uh, this morning we will look at righteousness or we will look at um, the act of that, which is one being righteous. So Romans chapter Three and Romans chapter 4. But before we get there, we need to have one last reminder because back in the spring, we walked through Romans 1 through 3. Then we took a break over the summer and we had a uh, number of messages on the Spirit and how you and I are filled with the Spirit and the gifts that He has given us. And so I don't want to re-preach the 12 or 13 messages of Romans 1, 2, and 3, uh, but I would like to give us a, an overview and draw our attention back because Paul is continuing his thought and you and I don't need to just abruptly drop into Romans 4. Let's uh, try to have some context and understand the argument that he's making. So here, in essence, is an overview. It states this. In chapter 1, Paul, an apostle, a sent one with a specific message sent out by God, he is charged to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. I absolutely love the apostle Paul because he is looked at and should be looked at as one of the bravest, boldest, witnesses for the gospel, and uh, in a number of places, he is giving his life literally for the great news. But he says in verse 16 of chapter 1 that he is not ashamed of the gospel. The, the gospel is the power of God. It's the salvation to everyone who believes. And then he goes on in this argument in the latter half of chapter 1, and he says, you know what, nobody has an excuse. There is nobody that is living in Hernando in 2015 or who lived in Hernando in 1429 or who lives over in India or who lives on the desert island just known as number 1472. And I don't know where that is, and I don't even know if that's a real place, but if there is one, if somebody's on that place, they don't have an excuse. Because God has shown Himself. He has revealed Himself in a number of different ways and at a number of different times. And no person is without excuse. And that is chapter 1. And He says, if you want to go after everything else, then have at it. But understand, there will be a day that you and I will stand before the judgment of Almighty God and we will have to answer. But if that's the direction you want to go, go. Chapter 2. In chapter 2, Paul 
reminds and continues to build that there are two points. One, God is righteous, and two, you are not. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. A sister passage states this, and you, you can put your name there. You were dead in your trespasses. You were dead in your sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the the prince, the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom you and I, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body, the desires of the mind, And were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of all mankind. But in chapter 2, verse 4, he says, but God. Even though that's the, the state that you and I were in, even though that's where he found us, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved you, with which he loved me, he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. You have been raised up with him and you are seated and he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Finally, this outward appearance of obedience to God's law, it must be followed with inward motives and attitudes that are pleasing in God's eyes. In the end of chapter 2, he says, rend your hearts, you sinners, and come back to God. And he will give praise. So we find ourselves this morning as Paul is finishing this argument of making these two points that God is righteous and that you and I aren't, that God is holy and set apart and you and I are filthy, that God is pure and sinless and you and I are full of sin and we find ourselves here in chapter 3. So let me read for us. Chapter 3, verse 21, down through the end of the chapter. And let's look at this point this morning. Out of the two points, we find this point. That there is good news even amongst your failures and my failures. Even in our failures, there is good news. So let's try to find some good news. Here's what Paul says. To those at Rome, and here's what God says to you and to me. But now, the righteousness of God, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets, they bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned, all have sinned. And all have fallen short of the glory of God. And are justified by His grace as a gift. 
through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance, He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It's excluded. By what law? By the law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Since God is one, who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith, do we then overthrow the law by this faith? My favorite Greek word, meganotoi, by no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. What then shall we say is gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, according to works? For if Abraham is justified by works, he has something to boast about, but but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him, it was counted to him as righteousness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I bow before you. God, I, I ask that as we spend our time this morning in these verses. Father, it would be time spent at your feet. It would be time, Father, for every single one of us to have our eyes opened spiritually, to see the depth, to see the richness, to to see the weight of what you've done for us. Father, it's, it's so easy to uh, go and pick that low-hanging fruit. And Father, that fruit is sweet. I, I, it, it is your fruit. But Father, there is some weighty, there is some high, there is some lofty fruit on that same tree that needs to be picked this morning and needs to be tasted this morning in future mornings. And I pray that God, we would see your word unpacked, that your name and your fame would be magnified. Because you came to great depths to pull me out of a pit. To pull us out of a pit that we couldn't, we didn't even know we were in a pit. Father, you came and you pulled us out. Through the work of your son. God we need. A fresh and a new to see that. God there are those that are here that. That don't believe in you. And you love them. 
And there are those of us that believe in you. We, we say we believe, but Father, God, our lives don't show any evidence whatsoever. God, I pray that you would shake me. You would shake us to the point that we would awaken spiritually. If we're yours, that we would come back to you, that we would confess that, that passages and verses like this and time spent this morning would do that because your spirit is alive. He searches to convict me of sin, to convict us of sin, to show us righteousness, which is your son. Lord, we come this morning. It is a weighty passage. It is a great passage. And I pray that you would allow my voice to speak. And it would be clear. It would not be boring, Father. It would be magnificent for your namesake. For that's why you've given it to us. All for your name. All for your fame, all that lives and eternities in this room, in this city, in this state, in this area might be changed. Father, start with me. God, you already have, and I'm grateful for that, but continue to start with us that you might use us. I ask it in Christ's name. Amen. I found myself in a room last month, and I was sitting amongst some 700, 800 people probably, and there were a couple of us uh, that, that I knew in the room, and David Platt stood up. Um, David Platt is the president of the International Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention, and he is the head of all the missionaries and the mission endeavors uh, outside of this continent of North America. And um, so he was standing and he was talking to us in a breakout session of the SIN conference in Nashville. And so we found ourselves in the room and he was talking about how many people were coming to Christ. He was talking about how many um, missionaries that were there, and how many people were dying every second. And I, I shared some of uh, those statistics Wednesday night, and, and it is just mind-boggling to think of every second, every minute, every day, every week that this is happening, and that they are spending, they are starting an eternity away from God. At astounding numbers. And he said, I, I want you to think for just a second. No, I want you to take your Bibles out. And I want you to turn to Romans chapter 3. And then he said, no, don't turn there. I, I just, keep your Bibles shut. I just want you to say Romans chapter 3 verse 23 and 24. And Romans chapter 3 verse 23 is one of the most well-known verses in all of the Bible. It, it, it is a verse that if anybody has ever heard or ever participated in a, 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 an evangelism track or if they known any of the scriptures, they are familiar with it. And it says this, for all, every single one of us, for all 
have fallen short of God's... We've all sinned and we've all fallen short of God's glory. That verse is a verse that just pins you and me to the door, so to speak. It is one that calls you out and calls me out and says, here is who you are. You are terrible. Your actions are terrible. Your thoughts are terrible, Brian. Your words are terrible. You you are just absolutely terrible. You're terrible by your choice. You're terrible by your nature because all men have sinned and all men have fallen short of the glory of God. And there was a resounding sound through those 700 plus people that were in that room. It it really was. was. There was a loud, unison voice saying those words, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then we got to verse 24. And he said, now say verse 24. He's like, whoa, 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 stop. You've got to know the good news. You can't just know the bad news that everybody's terrible, that everybody's sin, and everybody's falling short of the glory glory of God. You've got to know the good news, that you were justified. You were justified. This is great news for you and me, that we've been justified as a gift of grace through the redemption, which is Christ Jesus. That has been given to you and has been given to me. There is a great gift that has been given. And this is good news. It's a great gift because Jesus Christ took your place and Jesus Christ took my place. And you and I have been justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption, which is by way of Jesus Christ. For three chapters, Paul has been making these points that God is great, that he is holy and he is pure and he is sinless, he is righteous, and you and I fall short. He says in chapter 2 that there's none righteous, no, not even one. Excuse me, that's the uh, first part of chapter 3. And then I believe as he's writing that, he may have had a couple of verses in mind. One is found in Isaiah And it is, uh, I mean, it's just blunt. If if you like just something that just punches you right in the face and no beating around the bush, then God is speaking in Isaiah chapter 64 to you and to me. And it is a verse that is just, it, it is a picture of our filth. And in Isaiah chapter 64 verse 6, He says, we have all, not not just the person to your left or right, not just the person behind you, not just the person, we've all, every single one of us, and including the one that you looked at in the mirror this morning, every single one of us, we have all become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous deeds are like, polluted rags. If you were to look at that in the Hebrew, it is the same term that is used over in Leviticus that speaks of a woman in the midst of her cycle and the garment that is soiled by that. And he says, that's you and that's me and that's our best. 
When you thought that it was great, that, oh man, you know, last Monday at 2 o'clock I had a great thought. Filthy rag. Literally, last Monday morning, I got up, it was Labor Day, and I did no labor on it. But I got up at, at like 5.30, and I was just wide awake, and I said, you know what, I'm going to spend some time with the Father. And I went out to the front porch, and I sat on my bench, and, and I was just there. And I opened God's Word, and it was an awesome hour and a half. Filthy rag. I wrote down some great thoughts. Filthy One commentator stated it this way about Isaiah 64 and tying it together with the passage that we're looking at in Romans. But the central difficulty in that statement that all of our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. The difficulty was the people's personal inability to avoid what was sinful. Sin had so pervaded their lives that even the things that most people would usually regard as righteous deeds were in fact more like filthy rags. This is an honest appraisal of the filthiness of sin, which is relatively rare in the past or even today. Too often, this commentator continues, too often sin is deemed a slight mistake, a small or relatively minor infraction that is not really significant for us to even confess. It's all too easy to overlook sin, to forget it or excuse it, assuming that we will not have a or it will not have a major impact on anyone's relationship. God, but that sin that you and I think of as a slight mistake or, oh, it's all right, we'll just sweep it underneath our rug and we'll continue to live and continue to go, it cost God everything. There is good news because even though you have fallen short of God's glory, and even though you and I have all sinned and we are in want, there is good news because God has given us this gift in Romans chapter 3, verse 24. You are justified. You are justified. You're justified by His grace as a gift. You're justified by His grace as a gift through this redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. You're like, Brian, those are some big words, and yeah, those are some church words, those are some Christian words, and there needs to be this theological dictionary opened up in front of us so that we might understand these words, but let me just illustrate it this way for you. I graduated high school in 1992, and uh, my sister was a senior in college as I was graduating high school, and her and her fiancé, soon to be my brother-in-law, they gave me a gift. as It was a graduation gift. And it, it was a leather 
shaving or shower kit. And I got a number of gifts for my graduation, and that was one of them. And I thought, okay, uh, a leather shaving kit. I don't know how I'm ever going to use that. 24 years later, that was when I was 18. 24 years later, I took that leather shaving kit. It's been washed a couple of times, but I, I took that leather shaving kit with me over to Athens, Georgia this week, and I took all my personal items, my deodorant, my, my toothpaste, my toothbrush, my, my face. I, I took all of those things in that kit, and I have taken it every single trip that I have left a house or an abode that I was a part of between this weekend and when I received it. It has been a great gift. Let's fast forward. I love getting gifts. And one Christmas, I, I sat in my wife's parents' house, and it seems she's not here right now, so she won't listen to this, so do not tell her. And don't tell my mother-in-law I said this either. But it seems that the sons-in-laws, I'm the only one in the family, is an afterthought to receive gifts. It's like, all right, I'm going to go get the grandkids, everything. I'm going to get my sons. She has two sons. I'm going to get them some great gifts. But my son-in-law, I'm just, whatever's in the corner of the closet. (laughs) I'm just going to get it. And that happens. I know it happens. And I love my mother-in-law. I love my father-in-law. But one year, they pulled out. something that they had bought it dirt cheap <laughs> and they said here's your gift and you know what it was it was a workbench and I took that and I told them thank you it didn't have all the parts but it had most of the parts <laughs> and I told them thank you for it and I threw it in the back of the truck, and I said, it's going to make the dumpster before I get to the house. But I was too lazy to put it in the dumpster, and I took it to my house. And you know what? About 10 years now, I've had that, and I use that thing so often. Gifts that you are given, physical gifts that you think, why in the world am I getting? I will never use this. This is not important. I use them all the time. I tell you those two quick stories to illustrate that these words, you see the word justified, you see the word grace, you see the word propitiation, you see the word righteous or righteousness, and you're like, oh yeah, that's good, that's a, that's a great word, yes, that's a church word, and I know I'm supposed to know what it means, but I don't have a clue, but it is a great gift that has been given to you and to me. Let me try, let me try to speak about these words for just a moment. The word justification. The, ju- the word justifi- justified here in these verses, verse 24, you are justified. The term justified or justification, it is the point of salvation. That point 
where at a moment, at a second, you were an enemy away from God. You were an enemy on the opposite side of God. And at that moment, you were justified. And you will forever be past that moment, past that second, you will forever be a part of the family. No longer in opposition, but now with Him. The word justified, the easy way that I think of it is this, that He now looks at you just as if you'd never sinned. It's not that He overlooks your sin. It's not that He overlooks Friday night, I was with my family. Um, We were at a wedding over in Georgia, over in uh, Bulldog Country in Athens, and uh, my cousin got married. The last of the grandkids, my dad's mom's side, the last of the grandkids to get married. And um, so I was there, and of course, guess what I get to do? I get to pray, right? I'm a preacher. I get to pray at the reception, or excuse me, the uh, uh, rehearsal dinner. And my cousin stood up, and um, I don't think y'all have these in your family, but I do in mine. Uh, My cousin was a little chemically inconvenient. He was was there, and all of his friends were there. And and he made a statement or two and uh, made a huge laugh and said, uh, a couple of things, and then he said, oh, my cousin, is he's a preacher, and he's going to pray for the food, and so I, I, I prayed, and um, you know, I was there, and I was thinking some thoughts as I was praying, and I was like, you know what, God, that's just not right of me. I'm praying to you, and I'm thinking thoughts about how this guy's acting. Hello, hypocrite. Come on. So as, I, as I'm verbalizing a prayer, I am silently praying, God, please forgive me for that thought, and for that thought, and for that thought, and well, i got to get back to, I'm talking this whole time, and I'm like, this is not good. You, you probably need to go to a padded room. you you got two things going here. But the whole of the weekend, the whole of the weekend, and the whole of our lives is this. It's not that you and I are any better because we're not. It's that Jesus Christ died for you. He paid your your price that you could not pay. He was the propitiation, the payment for your sin and for my sin in front of Almighty God, justified. God looks at you just as if you'd never sinned. It's not that He overlooks these sins but that he is, his focus is no longer on me and my thoughts or me and my words or me and my actions, but his focus as he sees those sins are the blood of Christ. What a gift. What a gift. A gift that was given to you wholly, totally, sacrificially, selflessly to you. Righteousness. Not our righteousness, but His righteousness. Christ's righteousness. He is the one who lived. He's the one who died. He's the one that took your place. There is forgiveness. There is this word forgiveness, and we might use it lightly, but here is what it is that He's not looking the other way. He's 
taking payment for that, but that payment doesn't come from you. That payment doesn't come from me. That payment comes by the precious, spotless, pure blood of His Son. And the word grace. God gives you this gift. It's something that you don't deserve. He gives His very best. He gives His Son, Jesus. You want answers I want answers, you want definitions, I want definitions, and he gives himself, and he gives revelation. Jonathan Edwards stated about this passage, he stated this. It's a long quote, but here's what he stated. He said, you and I are no more justified by the voice of the law or of him that judges according to it, by a mere pardon of sin, then Adam, our first surety, our first insurance, our, our first assurance, was justified by the law. At the first point of his existence, before he had fulfilled the obedience of the law, or had so much as any trial whether he would fulfill it or not. Christ, our second surety, Adam failed, okay? And now there is Christ who has come, and this, our second surety, and whose justification, all those whose surety he is, are virtually justified. So Christ, our second surety, was not justified till he had done the work of the Father that he had appointed him. And he kept the Father's commandments through all the trials. And then in his resurrection, he was justified. What does, what's he trying to get, a, get at? It's not just that he came. It's not just that he was a good person. It's not just that he did some great things or he said some great things. But it was at the very end when he said these words, Father, it is finished. Everything that you sent me for, it's finished. Everything that you had me leave your side and come to this earth, it is finished. And he died. And at the close of that day, there was a whole day that he laid in the tomb and there was silence. And the breaking of the third day, that dawn, he rose from the dead because everything that he had been sent to do was done. From the time that he took his first breath to the time that he took his last breath, he did exactly what the Father wanted him to do. And because of that, he was justified. And because of that, you and I are justified. There are these gifts that have been given to you and these gifts that have been given to me. And it's good news. Let me read verse 4 down through verse 12. Make a couple of statements and we'll close. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as what is his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. 
Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven. Blessed are those whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? We say that uh, that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The the purpose was to make him the father of all who believed without being circumcised, so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. And to make him the father of the circumcised, who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before He was circumcised. All of that is a long passage. You're like, what in the world is happening here? All of that is just making this argument to the Jew and to the Gentile. It does not matter if you're circumcised or uncircumcised physically. He is speaking of the faith that Abraham had because in that faith, you and I are to walk. Whether we're Jews or Gentiles, whether our physical father is that of Abraham, i.e. we are Jews, or our spiritual father is Abraham because he went before us. We are to walk in this way by faith. And what a gift it is. You say, well, it's hard. Some days it is. You are correct. This it's also the only way that you're going to be saved. It's the only way that there is salvation. It's the only way that there is an answer to your sin. And that answer not being eternal damnation and eternal existence away from God. The only way that you're going to have that opportunity, the only way that I'm going to have that opportunity is through faith. Just as Abraham and anyone else, man, woman, boy, or girl, before or after him has been saved. And it is a great gift and a gift that has been given to you. But God does not make you, nor does he make me, or anybody else, accept the gift. It's your choice. I could have seen that leather shower kit, or I could have seen that workbench that had a third of the parts missing and said, you know what? Thanks, but no thanks. I don't want it. Take it back into the closet and maybe I'll get it again next year. I can accept the gift of salvation or I don't have to accept it. You can accept it or not have to accept it. But there are consequences to your choice just as there are consequences to my choice. This week uh, I made a number of choices and you did too. This week, some of the choices that you made were great. Some of the choices that you made 
not so much. Some of the choices that you made, you wish that you could go back and make them, and you and I can't. Some of the choices that I made, I wish that I would have never made them. But I can't go back. But he said, you know what? Those choices that were terrible, I paid for them on the cross. You don't have to pay for them, Brian. You don't have to pay for them, sir. You don't have to pay for them, ma'am. Because I paid for them. And my focus will be on the cross and on the precious blood of my son instead of on you. If you'll accept the gift. Heavenly Father, I bow before you. God, there is a, uh, a number of things that we could look at, a number of things that we could focus on. But God, I pray that we would focus on you. We would focus on the gift that you've given us. Even in our failure... Even in the failures that are going to come this week. Because of our nature and because of our choices. And God, it's not a liberty to sin. It's not a liberty to say, alright, I've got fire insurance. Lord, it's not that. You know that. Father, I know that. God, we're fallen creatures. And there is still a drive in me and a drive in us that is the old self. That we need to put off and continue to be putting off. That I need to starve. And there is a new self that I need to put on. God, as Paul begins this segment of his argument to those at Rome and to those at River Bend, I pray that we would see that. God, I pray that even now your spirit would bring to mind thoughts and words and actions that weren't just little mishaps. God, they were sin. And they need to be dealt with. Father, they need to be dealt with in my heart between me and you. They need to be dealt with in our relationship between Almighty God. Sovereign, ruling, reigning, yet personal, just, yet justifier. One of jealousy and also one who is faithful and forgiving. God, we need to spend some time with you this morning. I pray, pray that your spirit would convict us where we need convicting. Encourage us this morning, Father, where we need encouraging. To know that you are right there with us. And that your focus of of our sin is not to condemn me or us, but Father, that is already paid on the cross. Lord, some of us need to forgive ourselves. God, you work. 
Some need to come to know you this morning. You are convicting and they just need to surrender. And God, I pray that that would happen, that there would be men and women, boys and girls, that their eternities would change because you are working in them and they bow the knee and confess this morning. Not in religion, not in tradition of mom and dad, but Father, in a relationship with the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords. Father, this invitation, these words that we sing this morning, we sing in worship to the one, the only one who is worthy. God, we focus on you. For you have loved us and given us your very best. 